From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Hello, welcome back to Total SF and our BART history episode. I wrote an article this week about the BART car that Richard Nixon rode on in 1972. It was downhill from there for Nixon. He resigned a couple years later, died in 1994. But the BART car is miraculously still in service. Um, I was working on that story and thought this would be a great time to invite Michael Healy on the podcast. Healy was hired by BART almost 50 years ago and was the longtime spokesman for the transit agency. Last year, he wrote the book BART, The Dramatic History of the Bay Area Rapid Transit System. And he's the one who can answer all the good questions. We uh, asked them today, like, could BART really have gone across the Golden Gate Bridge as um, we've seen in some some, uh, imagery that BART put together back in the 60s? How close did we get to having a bar car that sells alcoholic drinks on BART? I wrote a story about that earlier this year. We asked Mike about that. And then there's the Nixon story. Mike was on the BART car with Nixon. The nuclear football gets involved in his storytelling. It's great, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. The other voice you hear is Alicia Trost, BART's current chief communications officer. She loves BART history, talks about some of the current BART programs, and helps me coax all the great stories out of Mike in this episode. One last thing, please give our show a rating if you're enjoying it. Write a review if you're really enjoying it. Apparently I was supposed to ask this when the show started. Now we're 160 episodes in. And I'm asking you this favor. If you're on Apple Podcasts, whatever streaming service you're using, give us a a quick rating if you can. Michael Healy and Alicia Trost coming up. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Welcome to Total SF, Alicia Trost, Chief Communications Officer for BART, and Mike Healy, a former agency spokesman and author of, we're going to say this several times, BART, The Dramatic History of the Bay Area Rapid Transit System. Uh, welcome to you both. Thank, Thank you. you. So I hoping we can get some BART stories. Um, Mike, I've read your book. Uh, I dig around in the Chronicle Archive and just absorb anything involving BART because I think it's so fascinating and I've learned so much from your book but I wanted to start by asking you Alicia you're the you're the current uh, communications officer for BART what's it like having Mike for a resource and like how often are you making those calls it's amazing to be able to text email and call Mike I have his number memorized I say he and I check in once a month. Sometimes there'll be times where we're checking in several times um, a month. And then sometimes it'll, there'll be time that goes a while before we do. We also make a point of, you know, going to lunch. I lean on him. I need to know that historical perspective and not just reading the book, but I need to be able to ask him, why is this the way it is? Where can I find this? Somebody asked me about this. 
Um, he's also really great. He'll come and he'll sort through the archives with us. You don't even <laughs> want to see our archives of photos. And if I just have no idea where to start, he'll come and help me. So it's really great. And, and we've developed a, a very nice uh, friendship over the years as well. Very nice. Well, Mike, I wanted to ask you, I, I remember, um, you know, when I started at the, I started at the Examiner and then the Chronicle, you were the spokesman for BART. But when I read your book, I realized that you, you were in pretty early on. Do you remember your first week on the job and how you got the job? I remember my very first day. <laughs> uh, November 15th, 1971. And I was in the office no longer than five minutes than I was uh, challenged with my very first crisis. <laughs> I mean, you can't believe it. I just sat down at my desk. Nobody else was around. I got there early, and, and I was one of the basically the first people at, at work that day. The phone rings. It's a reporter from the San Diego Union. And the first thing out of his mouth is, what's your comment? And I said, What's my comment on what? He said, Roar just went on strike. How's that going to impact your opening? And I thought, oh, well, let me get back to you. <laughs> That's a very good line for most spokespeople. Let me get back to you. So I had to wander around, uh, and I finally found this one guy in an office who turned out to be Bill Stokes, the general manager at the time. I'd never met him before. I went in, I said, Mr. Stokes, uh, I'm Mike Healy, I'm new on the job, just got this call. Uh, I told him what it was about, and he kind of grinned. And then he said, well, why don't you just tell him we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on it, we'll monitor the situation. So I went back and I told, I called the San Diego Union guy back and I told him that. But I suspected, I suspected at the time, not really knowing a lot at that point, that Bill actually was kind of pleased because I don't think they were ready for the opening date, which was supposed to be the spring of 1972. And of course it didn't open until September 11th. So I think they were actually uh, thought it was a godsend that Roar went on strike. And so Roar is Roar Corporation who we ordered our very first train cars from. They're based in Chula Vista. And we had that order was for 150 A cars, which are the lead cab cars with that famous slanted nose, and then 200 B cars, which are the cars in the middle. So, so imagine getting that call that uh, your train system and the person delivering trains to you is, is going on strike. And, and I should note, those cars are still, we're riding them today. Yeah. You absolutely uh are. Uh, I should note that Roar was an aerospace company, and a lot of people didn't think they were the right company to supply the cars. Uh, but BART was supposed to be a, uh, really a, a kind of space age system. That's how it was sold. And, you know, sort of on the order of Flash Gordon. So it uh, turned out that uh, the cars had problems, but uh, they got fixed over time. I'm the generation, I rode BART my entire life. I don't remember, I don't have a memory when BART wasn't in operation. I was born in 1970. Um, and I remember being young and just riding it for fun. Like just, you know, let's go ride BART. It, it, it felt space age then, but I, I wanted you to just tell us a little bit about how people felt about BART as it was showing up. Because we think of BART, a lot of us, as something that's been around for a while, but, um, was there excitement? What What about the technology? I mean, were, were people blown away by this 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 technology? 
yeah, I think that there was a lot of excitement about Bart. Uh, even, you know, I, I mean, I got there nine months before it opened and uh, I, I did a lot of interviews with the local press and, and international press as well uh, about the technology, about, uh, you know, the difference that, uh, you know, why was BART going to be different than all the other systems uh, that existed at the time? And uh, I told them that we had a different kind of signaling system that had been tested on a lab car out in Contra Costa County for some time before it was actually adopted. And that was the system that was built by Westinghouse. Um, and then the look of the cars, uh, wide-bodied cars, uh, carpeted uh, floors, uh, cushioned seats. You know, you didn't find that on most transit systems at the time. I've read your book, and there's, I'm going to keep holding this book up. The listeners don't see it, but I've read your book, and there's a lot of, lot more like near-death experiences than I thought there would be in the early days of BART. I mean, there were a lot of just pivotal points where it could have happened, or it couldn't have happened, or it could have ended up in a different place, or it couldn't. Do you think about that? When you look at the system, do you think what could have been and also you know and it, i think in, in in one way it may not have happened at all but also it could have ended up in some different places in the bay well, area I, yeah i don't i mean i had wouldn't hesitate to say it's a miracle that bart ever got built um it uh, even though uh it was you know it was going to be a a post-war regional rapid transit system to get people from the sur suburbs into the uh downtown employment centers uh, both in Oakland and San Francisco. Um, but uh, as you, if you read the book, you know about the Martinez Coffee Shop. If uh, Joe Silva had not voted that day, that day, that afternoon, to put BART on the ballot, there'd be no BART today because the window for BART was very, very narrow. Uh, you had Caltrans on the one thing, building uh, Highway 24, and uh, the window to use 24 as a highway or as a median for the BART system was going to close uh, if they hadn't won the vote in 62. In the late 60s, BART was hit with double-digit inflation, and it was basically going broke. And they were not, they were not going to be able to finish the system. Uh, then uh, uh, the, the legislature was uh, or did pass uh, the half cent, half percent sales tax on three BART counties to provide $150 million in additional bond money to finish the system. Ronald Reagan signed that bill. Um, and then years later, after that money ran out, uh, it was made permanent uh, as a subsidy for BART, AC Transit, and Muni uh, as, a, as a revenue subsidy. So anyway, that's sort of the history in a, in a nutshell on that. Oh yeah, Trans Bay Tube, which was separate, uh, separately funded from the bond issue. The bond issue was seven seven hundred ninety-two million dollars. The Bay, the the Trans Bay Tube was one hundred eighty-eight million. One hundred eighty-eight million. Alicia, what would it cost today? <laughs> Billion. <laughs> In the S's, billion. Well, you know, I mean, it's amazing. When BART was completed uh, and opened in 1972, there was a lot of criticism that it was, it went over, you know, there were overruns, cost overruns. Um, 
it was slated to cost roughly about a billion dollars when you included the cars and the transfer tube um, and or the rolling stock and uh, it came in at 1.4 billion every so oh my god how why is it so expensive to build this system well if you look at it today uh, just the basic system not the extensions it would probably cost around 30 billion you couldn't even do it but it would cost about 30 billion to replace we we have all these um, we have all these uh, drawings in the Chronicle archive. Um, the tube, like how it's going to work, people seem so fascinated by it. We also have a drawing, or a, it was a mock-up with Bart going underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, which gets passed around now on social media all the time. How much of that was was hopefulness, and how much of that was something that could have really happened? Well, it's part of the original plan. Yeah. When uh, Bechtel came out with the composite report, the original composite report, uh, or the original plan, it called for BART going across the second deck of the Golden Gate Bridge up to Novato, uh, through Sausalito and then up to Novato, along the northwestern corridor, because there was a right-of-way already established there. Um, but uh, the Bay Bridge, uh, which was under the authority of the Redwood Empire at the time, um, had their own study done and said, no, you can't bring uh, trains across the second deck. Bechtel did a study and said, yes, you can. But of course, the Redwood Empire had the authority and they said, no, you cannot bring BART on a second deck of the bridge. Um, then in Marin County at the time, there was some pushback from environmentalists also saying, oh, BART will bring growth, BART will bring crime, you know, whatever. Um, and then the other option was to build another Transbay tube from downtown San Francisco across uh, a much more treacherous part of the bay to uh, Sausalito. And while it was probably feasible to do that, it would have been enormously expensive, expensive and it would have had to have fallen on Marin County between the difference that it would have cost to bring it across the bridge and building the Transbay tube another transfer tube and there was no way Marin could afford it. They had uh, no almost no industrial tax base. It was mostly homeowners and it had not yet had the growth that it has today. So uh, we went to, Bart actually went to the county and asked the county to withdraw from the district. They were a part of the original district and they did, albeit reluctantly, uh, then, even before the vote, just before the vote, Marin County asked to come back in, and Bart uh, denied that. They rejected that idea. And they were right. I think Marin would have dragged the, the, the project down. I think it's funny that um, people that don't know the history, they, they all just assume that Marin said no. I mean, it's growing up, I always heard Marin didn't want Bart. You know, Marin just said Bart, they, Bart wasn't good enough for Marin, when really the reality is that Bart. <laughs> Ask them to back out. So it's just interesting. Peter, had you heard it told? Oh, I've that done way? that, Alicia. You've corrected me on Twitter about that. I'm the I'm part of the problem, and and it's such a you know. And I love my friends in Marin, but it seems like something Marin would have done around that time. But I've since looked it up and like written Twitter corrections and come correct on it. And I will defend Marin now for life because I made that mistake. To you, yeah, Joe Matthew, you know Joe Matthews. You know he has uh, 
Joe. Joe called me and asked me about that because he 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 read the book and then he was shocked to learn that uh, that uh, Bart actually withdrew from Marin rather than the other way around. Anyway. Why well, I, I apologize to Marin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned the tube. That must have just been incredible. Do you remember, you know, not just them laying it down, but the first time going through it? And it seems impossible now when I go through it. And I'm wondering what that was like in, you know, 72 or 73 when when the first people went through the tube. Well, it was it was done, pretty much done by the time I got there. Yeah. I got to Bart, but I did walk through the tube. Uh, I've done. I've been down on the tube actually many times, uh, and it's really, it's really an incredible engineering uh, piece of work. I mean, when you look at when you're inside, it's hard to imagine because it's so big inside, you know. And yet, when you see those uh, sections that were floated out into the bay and sunk down and then put together. It's one of the, I think it's one of the great engineering feats of all time, frankly. I, you know, I, I look at the um, Golden Gate Bridge and I'm at Fort Point and I can see it and I can picture, you know, how it must have been built. And, but with the tube, you just go through it and you don't see anything and it's all kind of to your imagination. Well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of these cars and uh, I, I've spoken with Alicia about, um, some of these legacy cars, you can own them. I don't know if you've got one on order, Mike, but um, yeah, <laughs> I have but a lot I own. Maybe I'll put one on where, there and rent it out. <laughs> I I know the one I would order, and I just found this out because Alicia shared a conversation she had with you that the Nixon car, the Richard Nixon car, is still in circulation. I've probably been in it. I, I've been riding Bart for you know all my life. Um, Alicia, I wanted to ask you first, legacy cars, someone can buy the Nixon car? Someone can, actually no, someone cannot buy the Nixon car because we are saving it. The Nixon oh. car will be saved. I believe it's one that we're going to give to um, the Western Railway Museum. They specifically asked for it, and I'll, and I'll tell you why they specifically asked for it in a, in a second. But the idea is that um, anyone can make a proposal to BART starting in January to repurpose a BART car. You're not paying BART for it. We're not making any money. Uh, what you're paying for is the cost of a very expensive crane and flatbed truck that it's going to take to get the car to wherever you want to take it. And those cost estimates is about eight to $10,000 because that crane is very expensive and the flatbed truck is very expensive. Um, but we really want to see innovation, creativity. We're hoping to see some art elements out of it. We'd love to have someone that has actual financial backing that could possibly do some housing for the homeless. That's something we are very open to, willing to, you know, allow our brand to be part of that solution. Um, and so it's really exciting. I can't give you all of the details yet, but we've gotten some takers that have, have, have quietly asked us questions. Um, like like a local brewery or people that want to make a tiny home. Um, there, some someone with the A's famously tweeted they might be open to it. Uh, so we're excited, and that process starts in January. But yeah, we have six hundred and sixty nine cars. Actually, a little less than that because we've sent some of them to recycle already. But we have we have plenty of cars, and we want to see what can be done with them. What do, What do you think, Mike? Are you going to order a a Bart car? 
I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, years ago, when we, we had a shell that we decided to sell, that, um, um, and it was out of the Hayward Yard, and a guy bought it for a dollar, I think, and he had it towed away, and it ended up on his lot in Fruitvale. And his neighbors were up in arms because it was obviously a non-conforming structure. <laughs> Uh, he fought, he, he fought it, but he eventually had to move the yard. I don't know what he eventually did with it. And uh, so after that, uh, at least for a time, they were cutting up the cards that were being, uh, decommissioned. Uh, anyway, but I am happy that some cars are going to go to the museum. And I know that they're working to try to raise money, uh, to pay for not only a, um, a facility to, to house the cars, uh, three cars, I think what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but also to transport, pick them up and transport them uh, to the Western Railway Museum out in Rio Vista. Excellent. That's a great so place. I'll, I'll tell you, should, should I tell you the story of the Nixon car? Or do yeah. you want to hold on? Yes. No, no, no. Let's do okay. it. So the reason why Western Railway Museum has specifically asked for that car, obviously it's, it's historically significant, is because they have the nose of the car already but that a car slanted nose of the cab um so it turns out the nixon car was an a car car 120 which the famous picture shows that it's car 120 but we converted it in 1981 to a b car i'm assuming that is because we wanted more cars to be able to more flexibility to fit in the middle to make longer trains um i'm assuming that that's why that happened and so what's funny is that it used to be a cab car but it's now a middle car um it is still in operation just today it was at our concord yard uh we looked up well how does the nixon car perform is it a good car is it a bad car because we actually have cars that are just bad cars they just are constantly coming back in for repair um, and so, um, the car has, let's see, it's being described as, um, let me read this. It's currently in operation and doesn't appear to have any known major issues. Um, it has operated a little over 3000 hours in the past year. It has a newer floor. Um, so that is good, but it's mean time between incidents is 200 hours which isn't particularly good b cars typically are over 400 hours mean time between incidents right you want that number to be higher because that means it's not having as many failures so i just i love the, the flavor of that i love the idea that it was a cab car and we we cut it up we cut up the nixon car and made it a b car um and so i also found out that we had put a brass plaque someone asked me on twitter just uh, last week was why is there a plaque well there was a plaque uh installed in 1972 and it got stolen so, in three minutes that's right it was stolen <laughs> sometime around 1975 or 1976 and they must have just realized there's no reason to ever do a black plaque because it'll always get stolen and so we sent that the nose of the cab to the western railway museum um and they still have it we so I just, I love that. There's always a great story behind every BART car, I'm sure. It's, it sounds like every 200 hours, it sounds like that car should resign in disgrace. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, uh, uh, I was the liaison with the White House uh -huh. team uh, to prepare for Nixon's visit. 
And they showed up at my office about a month before the visit. So very loosey-goosey. We had lunch several times and became pretty friendly. And as time went on, you could feel the net closing in. And pretty soon, the Secret Service took over, and then everything got really tight. But they, uh, Secret Service came to me and said, uh, we'd like you to decide what press can come out to the tarmac at the Oakland airport to greet uh, and cover the president's visit. I thought, well, that's a responsibility. So I had to get all of their social security numbers, the working press that I knew. And then I, uh, had, I set up a little uh, table out on the tarmac. And when the press arrived, I had to give them a little special button that the Secret Service gave me to give to them. So that would allow them to get within a certain distance of, of the president. And you had both national and local press uh, covering this, you know, covering this uh, event. Anyway, um, I did ride with the motorcade to the San Leandro station. I showed Pat Nixon uh, how to use the fare, fare machine while Bill Stokes- How'd she do? She did fine and she was very gracious and uh, she, she seemed to be interested in the technology. So I thought, well, okay. So I showed her how the ticket worked. It wasn't a big deal, but then I escorted her in and I was on the car with, uh, with Nixon. I was standing in the back, back behind, uh, well, actually Haldeman was standing, Bob Haldeman was standing next to me, taking home movies. And then next to him was Ron Ziegler. And then the Secret Service were kind of scattered around. Uh, the photographer worked for me, uh, a guy named Gordon Klaus. So he, he took the picture that you see in the book. Uh, and I had, to get special, uh, I had to get special permission or special access for him. Uh, but anyway, uh, then there was this guy standing next to me. I was telling Alicia about this the other day. Uh, wearing a major, he was a major in the U.S. Army, and he was carrying this briefcase. And so I didn't really pay much attention to him. But uh, recently, about, in fact, uh, it was earlier this year or late last year, I can't remember when, but a friend of mine from Salinas uh, uh, gave, this, gave a guy this book. Turned out to be the same guy. It was this former major in the U.S. Army. And he contacted me and he said, you know, I want you to know I was on that car. In fact, I was standing right behind you. And I said, really? I said, what were you doing? He says, I was carrying the football. <laughs> the nuclear football was on BART. Football was on BART. I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, um, and then when we got to Lake Merritt, Nixon did give us a check for $34 million for the second, uh, the, uh, the second uh, wave of, of new cars, of cars. Uh, we had a contract that was running out, and the option was to purchase 200 more cars. And so that money went to uh, went for that. Uh, and he personally gave me a pin. Uh, oh. a, little, a little, yeah. He personally gave me a, a little pin, uh, a little lapel pin, uh, which was had I think the presidential seal on it. I, I it's around here somewhere. I don't know where it is, but I should find it one of these days. But one of the things that happened was when I had lunch with these guys in the advance from the advance team. And we get to talking, you know, very casually. I said, well, how do you like working at the White House? And there were two of them. And one of them said, well, you know, it's always interesting in the White House, and, and we really enjoy it. But, you know, there's something going on. I said, what do you mean? Well, you know, the president's got a burr under his saddle, and we're not sure what's going on with that. 
of course, oh, wow. Watergate had taken place a couple of months earlier, well, taking place in June. And so uh, we think that, uh, you know, that was, he thinks maybe that's what was going on, but he didn't want to say that. So I said it. <laughs> anyway. Well, it so, seems like he, he loved Bart. I mean, maybe that was just talk, you know, but he seemed to love Bart. And actually, he seems to love, every time I read about him, he seemed to love the Bay Area. He loved Chinatown, loved riding the cable car. Nixon? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he did love Bart. And, he, he, and I think that he really felt that this was the future. Bart was the future. Uh, and, you know, Bart was being uh, monitored by China and also by various other, uh, you know, countries that were looking for, you know, a new rail system or the new, a new kind of a rail system. Uh, so Bart was really starting a renaissance in that respect. Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. That I've, I've been wondering about that, and there's a little bit of it in your book, but uh, love the nuclear football story. <laughs> um, I can't believe it when he told me. <laughs> no, I actually didn't know. He's joking. <laughs> it was everywhere, I, I, I'm told. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump around a little bit, and Alicia, jump in if you have any, any stories you want to coax out of Mike, too. But what about the bar car? And I've written about this, but... Oh, very much about that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like very. When I wrote about it, it was very popular. The bar car is maybe it would be like a dispensary you know, car now. But what was so funny about that, Peter, was that the 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 Bart board is. You know, I was sitting in on that uh, Bart board session that day, mm -hmm. and the Bart board is talking about. You know, they're 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 approving million dollar contracts. I mean, there are two or three contracts that were at least well over a million dollars or more, $10 million, whatever the case might be. A lot of important things were going on. And at the end of the meeting, Will Lessery, who was the one of the directors at the time, said, you know what? We ought to think about having a bar car. I bet you could get down two martinis between Daly City and Concord. Maybe more. <laughs> and everybody said, what? And the press ran with that. I mean, that was the headline for the, for the next morning or the, next, or the afternoon. I mean, it was... Uh, it was funny because it never came about, obviously. Yeah. Now, I will say that we had, a, we had a charter business for a while in the early 80s where a corporation could come in and they could rent a train for a party uh, and on a line of their choosing. Usually it was out in the Contra Costa or, or Southern Alameda area, but I think in this case it was, yeah, it was, Alameda, it was Contra Costa. And they would set up a punch bowl, you know, a nice little punch bowl. <laughs> One of our directors, who was a teetotaler, uh, a Mormon, by the way, and a teetotaler, went on that particular car. With, he was invited for some reason by the corporation, or he went. I don't know if he was invited, but he went. It was a corporate you know, party. And he starts drinking the punch, and he got absolutely blasted. <laughs> this is like a teen movie. This is like a John Hughes movie. <laughs> I don't know what they put in the punch, but it was pretty potent, apparently. <laughs> anyway, but the bar car, of course, never actually came about. Uh, it was kind of a fun idea, though. We'll be right back after this short break. Alicia, does this ever come up? I mean, let's say we get that second... Uh, bay crossing get a nice bart going down geary maybe 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 we can get back up into marin things clear out at times change any chance bar car shaking your head 
I don't think so. I mean, I can barely even stand up on a moving train sometimes, <laughs> right? I mean, the just the way it moves and the people bumping into you and uh but you know, we are um needing to explore alternative revenue streams right now with the yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe oh. we're missing out on something. I got one thing I could see return um is the video games on the platform, Peter. I know it's near and dear to your heart. <laughs> Definitely. And Michael made that happen. Mike made that happen. That was you? Because 1977, I need to know all about this. Because it was 1977, I think, Atari. Oh, yeah, the Atari uh, game and the Power Street Station. Yeah. It seems foolproof. I mean, who wouldn't want an Atari arcade cabinets on yeah, a bar it, platform? It was, it, was, it was very, very popular. And um, it was, we did it really as a marketing thing more than anything else. Uh, we didn't expect a lot of revenue. It's brilliant. Out. It's, it was your idea too, wasn't it? Or did they reach out to you? I'm trying to remember the story. Oh, they reached out to us. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I, I liked the idea and, uh, there were others uh, in, you know, in my department, uh, that, uh, liked it. Um, and we went ahead and did it. Um, and for a while it wasn't, you know, it was there. I don't remember how long it was there, but, um, it was very popular, and as I say, we did it for marketing purposes for BART, not for Atari. But Atari was popular. It was, uh, you know, and, and anyway, so it, it it was fine at the time. Do you remember why they got rid of them? Was there was it just a timed thing, or were people vandalizing the games? Or I, yeah, there were some issues involving, and I don't remember exactly what they were, Peter. But yes, we did. We finally had to have it moved, and I, I, there was some there was some reason, and I don't remember what the reason was at the time. So the 2020 version of that is something I'm about to roll out with our art program manager, where their story kiosks. We've ordered four of them, and we made them COVID friendly. You you'll just hover your hand, and you can get like a one minute story, a three minute story, or five minute story, and it prints it out, and they they can be local authors. Um, they can be different themes. They can be poetry. And then you have something to read while waiting for your train or on the train. And if you leave it on the train, it's like, it's almost like the good old days of leaving your newspaper on the train for someone else to read. Um, or you can bring it home and put it on your, um, refrigerator. And so it's something that's sort of like a throwback in, in a way, but I'm delighted by it. And we're hoping to roll it out, uh, sometime in the next few months. Um, just something to add a little flavor and color to your Bard experience. Not a video game, but everyone <laughs> likes written word. I, it seems like, it, and again, looking back at the history, when you're having fun, that's generally a good thing. I, Mike, I saw you brought Henny Youngman out, Borch <laughs> comedian Henny Youngman out for a, for a uh, uh, what, what was it? Take my Bart, please. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Any, uh, what happened there was um, I was looking for something to something really, you know, out of the box, so to speak. Yeah. Um, to do in the late eighties, and Bart was going through a little bit of a period there because we were doing some construction work. Trains were a little bit slowed down, and and so I wanted to try to you know rebuild the rider. There was a little bit of a ridership uh, lag there for a while, so. Um, a guy named Eddie Spalizel came to me. He was a local uh, advertising guy, and he said, "Well, uh, 
is there anything I can do for you? And I said, no, I don't think so. I said, well, you, you handle Henny Youngman, don't you? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, well, let me think about Henny Youngman. So anyway, I ended up hiring Henny on a, for two years on a two-year contract. I brought him out from New York where he lived. And uh, he turned out to be really quite a character. My wife and I took him to dinner a few times, and he was always on stage. But anyway, we did this. So I, I had a, we had a meeting up on the fifth floor one day uh, when we were at our old Lake Merritt building. And uh, we always, uh, we'd have each of the department heads would go around and say, well, what, what are you doing? You know, what's new with you guys? Or what program do you have working on? And we'd do a little report. And it got to me, and I said, yeah, I've uh, just hired uh, this guy, this comedian, Jenny, uh, Henny Youngman. He's, uh, you know, uh, he's out of the Borscht circuit or wherever he was from anyway. And so the guy next to me, <clears throat> it was in the planning area, Howard Good, his name was. And he said, Henny Youngman? He said, what demographic are we, what demographic are we uh, aiming at? And I said, you know, Henny's universal. I don't think uh, I don't think there's any demographic. I think he's universal and he'll appeal to everybody. And because he, he's such a funny guy, well, it turned out to be a sensation. I mean, we had all. Of, first of all, when the press found out I'd hired him, we had headlines on every single paper in the Bay Area. Henny Youngman to do marketing program for Bart, and then we did the we we filmed the uh, we filmed the commercials. And we held, I held a press conference at the old uh, press club up there on post. And we had Henny there and, uh, and we had copies of the commercial and all of the TV, uh, all the TV stations were represented. They all had the reporters and, and uh, cameras there. And we gave them each a copy of the commercial and told them that if they want to use it for any reason, they can. They all used it in the to, in the uh, news in the in the eleven o'clock news, uh, and they actually played almost all of the commercial. I mean, you can't ask for better press than that. Yeah, I love it. Um, so anyway, and Henny, of course, joked with the press, and and they all loved him. I mean, it was a really amazing. They just absolutely, you know, he was like uh, like you know, uh, honey for you know a swarm of bees. I, I love uh, it too because Bart's got its quirks you know there are going to be interruptions and and construction and stuff and it sort of plays off that take my bart please his his line was take my wife uh, here's what he said to me we were having dinner one night and he said so what do you you want me to say uh take my take bart and take my wife please that's his famous line take my wife please you know yeah that's his signature line and i said no i want you to say take your bark please and and people who know you will understand you know the reference that that's that that really plays off of your signature line so he liked that he said okay that's fine and so that's what we did yeah well you know peter my my tenure at bart was really one adventure after another i mean i <laughs> i i've always you know anytime i've ever given a talk i've usually ended it by saying you know i've never had a dull day at bart and yeah. True. I never had a dull day at that system, working at that system. Well, it's a common language, you know, and, and I think as social media has grown, it sort of has made 
I don't know, BART, something that we discuss a little more, but it's a common language. And it's something that if you grew up in the Bay Area, you had an experience with BART, whether you're going a day on the green or whether it was a commute for you or just a special trip with your grandparents or getting stuck in the tube, whatever it was, we all kind of had something we can talk about. So this book, uh, I just want to say one more time, BART, The Dramatic History of the Bay Area Rapid Transit System. Um, this is by Heyday Press, so people can get it. Uh, I, I prefer telling people to go to their local bookstore and try and order it there, but but Heyday Press, uh, it's still in circulation. Oh yes, yeah. I have one more story if you want to hear it. I'd love it. All right. Well, you know, it's part of the job. I also was a member of the. Uh, I was a chair of a subcommittee for the American Public Transit uh, Association in Washington D.C. So. That meant I had to travel from time to time and, and it, it, to various conferences. And, uh, and, and then we had, our committee had meetings around the country and uh, once up in Canada, a couple of times up in Canada, actually. So anyway, uh, we were looking for a national program uh, that made, uh, you know, that could sort of on a, on a uh, national basis uh, raise the consciousness of the importance of public transit in the public's eye, in the public's, you know, in the public domain. And the reason for this was we really wanted to get to Congress because uh, of the funding issues that are always uh, in controversy, always controversial with Congress and always, you know, you're always fighting for every dollar. Uh, but there was also a lot of competition for the uh, transit industry with the highway trust fund. Okay. So I came up, I actually recommend, I came up with this idea to do a, a series of public service announcements, public service spots uh, filmed that could be sent around to various stations around the country and that we would use Sally Ride, Sally Ride, former astronaut, late astronaut, um, and, and she would be the spokesperson. And the whole idea was, you know, right now we have a space program and we're sending people up to space. But we also have transportation here on the ground as well. And then she would talk a little bit about uh, the various uh, systems around the country, with maybe with little shots of different systems. So everybody at APTA liked the idea. Gilst a guy named Jack Gilstrap, who was the head of APTA at the time, uh, said, yeah, yeah, if we can get Sally, Sally Ride. Well, as luck would have it, uh, somebody at BART uh, came to me one day and said, you know, I belong to this women's group and Sally Wright is going to be speaking at the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to our women's group um, as a visitor. So I hopped over there and the funny thing was I was standing right next to her and Bob Melrose from KCBS came up to me. I know Bob. <laughs> you know Bob. He said, Mike, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm looking for Sally Ride, and I don't see her anywhere. She's well, she's standing right next to you, and she's and she had the I didn't recognize her, and she was and and she's not very big. She's fairly tiny, and she had on this beautiful red dress, you know. Yeah. So anyway, I grabbed her and I told her what I had in mind, and she said she'd love to do it, but NASA would have to approve, and there was a window coming up in which she could actually spend the time doing this these series of spots. So um, I told uh, Jack Gilstrap about this and about and also my committee. 
everybody was very excited. And I drafted a letter for Gilstrap to write, to send to Ed Nassau requesting her, uh, requesting, uh, you know, that she do this uh, public service um, program or project. Well, I, I sent the letter and nothing happened. And so I kept contacting Jackson. Where have you sent the letter? Oh, I'm getting around to it. He never sent the letter. The window closed, and that was the end of that. And a couple of us went to Washington and just raised holy hell with him in his office. And and after I was I was really uh, upset that he uh. didn't follow through. Why he didn't, I don't know. But anyway, never happened. I and I always thought you know it would have been a great program. Oh, near yeah. miss. <laughs> And Sally was very sweet. She was really, you know, she said, oh, yeah, yeah, she sounded, she actually was interested in the whole thing. So, too bad. Well, you got Henny Youngman and, uh, and Dick Nixon and his nuclear football. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't have everything, you know. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate uh, both of your time. And uh, uh, Alicia, uh, Bart has a, you were talking about archives. Is there a YouTube channel or, or social media the best place for people to see this? Yeah, I would say our Twitter account primarily. We do have a YouTube channel um, on YouTube to search for Bart and you'll find it under Bartable. Uh, yeah. But yeah, to, to, more to come because we're, we're in the process now of, uh, of looking through some fun, fun old stuff. We'll look forward to that. And uh, Mike, once again, Bart, the dramatic history of the Bay Area rapid transit system. Great for the holidays. Great for a gift for someone that you love who uh, appreciates Bart. So, yeah, um, by the way, it's been adopted by uh, a lot of the major universities around the country as a resource, like Harvard, Princeton, uh, uh, not Yale, but uh, Northwestern, Carnegie Mellon, two, chi two in China. Uh, uh, my alma mater, USC, uh, Cal, and Stanford. Nice. Well, we'll get Yale. We'll get Yale on board. Yeah, with Yale. <laughs> What's wrong, wrong with you, Yale? Well, thanks again to both of you, and uh, I hope I can have you back on again because that was super fun. Well, thank Absolutely. you, Peter. It was fun. I really enjoyed reminiscing about something. <laughs> thanks, Peter. Thank you. Time it's 2 a.m. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Alicia Trost and Mike Healy. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by treating yourself to a digital Chronicle edition at sfchronicle.com slash pod.